want to start reading in John chapter 4, and some of you uh, are very familiar with this story, which I will retell, is the story about Jesus with um, a woman at the well, and the dialogue and the conversation that they begin to have at the well, and after they have a, a dialogue at the well, a particular and unique well, um, we, we pick up our text and we pick up our scripture. I'm doing a series called Uncover. Will you say that after me, Uncover? I'm doing a series called Uncover. And today we're talking about the blessedness of nakedness. The blessedness of nakedness. That this, that there is an idea as it relates to nakedness that uh, everything in our lives has to be covered in order for us to navigate through life. And in the kingdom of God, it's the exact opposite. God doesn't want you shielding your life. He wants you uncovering your life before him because God can't deal with you with too much stuff on. God wants to deal with who you are. He wants to deal with you where you are, and he is okay with who you are. He's okay with where you are. God needs you to be naked and not ashamed that you need him. Amen? So we're talking about that today, and I, wanna, uh, I want to um, uh, speak real quickly from verse 27 down to about verse 34. We'll see how it works. And this is what the word of God says. It says, and at this point, this is after he has had this conversation with this woman at the well. It says, and at this point, his disciples came to him and they marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why were you talking with her? In other words, what were you trying to get from her? And why was you, why were you speaking to her? Nobody dared ask Jesus that. And the woman woman who he was talking to then left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men come see a man who told me all things that I ever did could this man be the Christ and they went out of the city and came to him and in the meantime his disciples urged him saying rabbi eat but he said to them I have food to eat of which you do not know Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? In other words, what do you mean you got food that, that, that we don't know about? Did somebody bring you something to eat? Therefore, his disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said, listen, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to, do, and to finish his work. And the word of the Lord is blessed. I want you to find three people and tell them the blessedness of nakedness the blessedness of naked. So, Father, we do give you the praise and we honor you, God, this morning as this house is hallowed for your grace. We thank you, God, because, because in order for us to be transformed, your spirit must now visit us. That, God, it won't be because a preacher preaches well or because the singing was so good won't be because the fellowship of who we are sitting next to is so wonderful. It'll be not by our power, but by your spirit. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do something in this service that challenges us, that pushes us, that lifts us, the anointing to preach the gospel we receive, the anointing to hear and understand the gospel we receive, the anointing to be transformed by the word of God we receive. And we bless you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Smile at somebody. Tell them it's just church. It's all right. Tell them it's all right. It's just church. He's not going to call me out, make me stand up. Nothing like that. The blessedness of nakedness. I want to spend a few moments again. If you didn't get last week's sermon, I encourage you to get last week's sermon because it becomes the stairs in which we, we elevate and build into to today's teaching. This idea of uncovered is connected with the concept that we like, we believe that God has challenged us. We have challenged me, rather, to challenge you to, to lift the veil and to look beyond the masks in which we have been taught to do our everyday life with. Because underneath the mask is where we will find our truest selves, but not just our truest selves. It is the place where God does his best work. God does his best work when you are not a caricature of yourself. God does his best work when you're not hiding secrets about yourself. God does his best work when we are, as Adam and Eve were in the garden, the Bible said they were naked before him and they were not ashamed to be naked before him. 
This is not a concept. We're not particularly talking about anybody that wears clothes or not wearing clothes. We are really talking about a nakedness of heart, a nakedness of mind, a nakedness of emotional disposition. All of the places where we have been trained and we have been taught to lock down and throw away the key. Because if you see the real me, it is very plausible and possible that you will not like me. And we are in a generation and in a time where we live by being liked. We're motivated by who likes us. We are motivated by who likes our Instagram pictures and our Facebook pictures. We are motivated by who likes us after church. And we're motivated by who likes us in the park. We are motivated by being liked. And you will never step into a great purpose in your life if you are obsessed with being liked. I'm going to help somebody today. You can the right thing is often is oftentimes not the most liked thing. The, the successful thing is oftentimes not the most liked thing. People will not understand you when you decide that you've got purpose on your life and you're willing to go for it even if it means that they get left behind. All right? So the challenge that God has placed before me is to push on the buttons of gifted men and women and push on the buttons of men and women that are not being held back because of aptitude, not being held back because of an ism, not being held back because of a social thing. God sent me here to challenge men and women that have been held back because of the capes and the marauds and the masks that they have been wearing. And the reason why you can't go to the next level is because you have not come in contact yet with you. We see the mask. I want to talk to you particularly about a story here in John chapter 4 first. And you can't deal with John chapter 4 without dealing with the woman with the issue of blood. Or excuse me, the woman here at the well. And the wells are important in the Bible. If you are a studier of scripture, anytime you see a well, God is generally getting ready to do something. He's, he's trying to teach us something. He is trying to get us to take notice because wells are metaphorical, metaphorically uh, positioned in Scripture to help us connect with prosperity and with wholeness and with truth. This is what God is thinking. Wells generally have to do with our, uh, generally point us to the truth that is connected to having a relationship with God. So whenever God takes us or leads you to a well in Scripture, go up because God's getting ready to get deep into your psyche and into your heart with whatever you're about to read next and we find here in the scripture we find that there is a woman who has come to a well this is around the fifth verse of the chapter there is a woman who comes to the well around midday toward the early evening if you understand the way that the, the ancient Semitics would have done their days. They don't do them the way we do them. Midday is right around what we would consider dusk or so. So, son, uh, so she's at this well at dusk, and the Bible is saying that Jesus, excuse me, having been traveling for a few days, is thirsty, and he comes to this particular well, and they have a conversation that ensues. It's one of the most popular conversations in Bible literature and in history. It's one of the most popular and most theologically discussed conversations because in the book of John, every person that Jesus had a conversation with, they had a name for. She is a lady in Bible that in this, in this particular uh, book, she's the only person that has had conversation with Jesus in which she had no name. So this has led theologians to believe that perhaps this woman is not a real woman, but she is metaphorical or symbolic of Samaria itself. Samaria being a country that uh, represented the division that was between the Jewish nation and the Jewish community and the Jewish culture and the Palestinian culture and the Palestinian nation. They are the expression of something that we see today that our Jewish brothers and Palestinian brothers still have a very difficult time of deciphering and determining the, the burial and the birthrights of land that exist in the earth. This is crucial and this is important that you understand. What is happening here in the text is that there is a well that belongs to a guy named Jacob. Jacob is now deceased. Jacob no longer is there. Jacob is Isaac's son. Isaac is, or Abraham, rather, Isaac and Jacob. Jacob is Isaac's son. Isaac is Jacob's, uh, is Abraham's son. And what happens now is that both 
the Palestinian world and the Jewish world, they take connection to Abraham because Abraham had a son named Ishmael and a son named Isaac. The God of the scriptures decided to tell the story through the lenses of Isaac. Isaac is where we as Christians take our Christian lineage, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But you do understand in scripture that there is a son named Ishmael that he had before Isaac was born. Are you following me this morning? This, because, this is critical because I'm helping you with something that you see in today's world. I'm helping you with a geopolitical understanding of what you see in today's world. That everything that Abraham owned, both Isaac and Ishmael claimed to have heirship to. Everything that Abraham owned, they said that it belongs to us. Now, as they split along geopolitical lines, both by culture and by race and by ethnicity, they both believe that things that belong to Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob was theirs. And in this text, they are at Jacob's well, and Jesus the Jew is on one side. Uh, this woman, the Palestinian Samaritan, is on the other side, and they are looking at each other, trying to determine who is about to serve who at this well. Because if it's mine, if I own the well, then you are the servant that serves me. And if I own the well, then I have rights to demand something from this well that, that demands that I get it before you get it. This is critical because if she is Samaria, if she is metaphorical for Samaria, if she is of Samaria, then that means her five husbands are not real. Her five husbands that Jesus would eventually talk about, her ex-husbands or whatever we want to call them, uh, what they would say is that she, those five husbands were representative of five cities that were spoken about in 2 Kings chapter 17 by which the Samaritans were to live in while they were in this particular area. So instead of her being real, she represents a, a country called Samaria. What her five husbands would represent is they would represent these five cities. This would be the journey and the world in which this story is conversed in. And all through the conversation and through the litany of the dialogue of the conversation, um, we find this, this idea of her being a metaphor as something that can gain traction. And it can gain traction for a couple of reasons. Here, it gains traction first and foremost is that because if she was, if this was a real situation and she was a woman who had five husbands, that would be against all ancient law. It would be against all ancient law for her to have five husbands. In fact, the scripture, we as the church has taught you that she had five husbands that she has been divorced from. But the Bible doesn't tell us that she has been divorced from it. Can I tell you what the Bible says? The Bible just simply says that she had five husbands. In church, we said she had been divorced five times. But the Bible doesn't say she had been divorced five times. According to ancient law, she probably never would have gotten to five divorces. According to ancient law, a woman could have gotten divorced twice. Now, she would not have been able to divorce. According to ancient law, the husband gave the woman the right for divorce. And she likely would not have gotten divorced more than twice because there was an unwritten law that basically said that if you've been divorced twice, nobody else should marry you. So this idea that she has been married five times in the ancient text is probably not all the way accurate, or that she had been divorced five times is not all the way accurate. But what is potentially accurate is that she had five marriages and she could have been widowed five times. Why is this important? This is important because there is an ancient text writing that is different than the Bible, but it is a history text anyway that is critical for us to buy into. Because there is a story in the ancient historical text, not the scripture, but it is a history book nonetheless, that talks about a woman who was widowed five times. Now, the reason why I personally take the theological take that this woman was a real woman is because she appeared in the history books. She appeared in the history books, and even though the scripture did not call her name, the history says that her experience was real. There would not have been any issue in the ancient days for someone having been widowed multiple times because the average age of a person was only to about 45 or so because they didn't have TB shots and they didn't have flu shots and they didn't have virus shots. So if you caught the, the flu, you could literally die in those days. 
if you caught if you got bit by something you can die in those days being out in the middle of the desert your lifespan was not major it was generally short and because history shows that there is a woman who has had at least five widowed experiences this history book shows that she was a real person because they do not put fake people in history books now this is what you and why am I telling you this because I need you to understand if we're going to talk about nakedness that there is a whole group of people that gather around churches on Sundays that will never validate a real experience that you've been through they will stand up and dance and they will shout and they and you will be perpetually nameless in their congregations but that doesn't mean that you don't have real hurts and real issues and real stuff that you dealt with because you are a real person whether we know your name or not you go through real stuff whether we validate the stuff you go through or not and it is critical that even though people don't validate your struggle that you recognize that your struggle is real and that you cannot hide behind your struggle because people will not acknowledge what you're going through are you hearing what I'm saying one of the reasons why we never get naked is because when people don't acknowledge that we are struggling with something, we get quiet and just suppose that if I just keep my mouth shut, then some kind of way things will get better. And as long as no one calls me out on it and no one challenges me on it, I will figure out how to get better in the solitude of my own experience. The challenge with that is none of us get better alone. In fact, most of the time, we get worse when we're by ourselves. Isolation does not bring the best out of you. It actually brings the worst out of you. You will never kick a habit by yourself. You will never change a thought process by yourself. God always brings something from the outside, somebody from the outside. When he gets ready to change your thinking, God always brings somebody to the well of your life to challenge your life so that you can move to your next level. Am I talking to anybody in here? Stay with me now because this woman who is at the issue, who is at the well, has a unique relationship with Jesus. They're enemies. Jesus says, hey, can I have some water? This is your Bible. And she looks at him and she looks back at Jesus and they're looking at the well and she's like, but this well belongs to me. And Jesus is like, no, this well actually belongs to us. And she's like, well, what do you want? And Jesus says that I'd like some water. Do you mind giving me some water? And she looked back at Jesus and she was like, you know, I'm here at an odd hour of the day. Most women come early in the morning to get their water. I've come at the cool of the day to get my water uh, and I shouldn't even be here. Um, she says, uh, what, why, why, do you realize who you're asking for water? She says, I'm a Samaritan woman at this well. Every social norm is being broken right now. I need ancient space in general when a man or a woman meets at a well a wedding follows otherwise the woman pulls herself back and she defers and just lets the man do what he's going to do she comes to the guard uh, to the well and they stand at the well and they ensue a dialogue and instead of her kowtowing to the maleness and the patriarchal hierarchy of the day she ensues with a conversation woman let me have some water she looks back and says do you realize that I'm a Samaritan and Samaritan and Jews don't have any dealings I can't believe you asked me for some water and you know we don't mess with each other that's essentially what just happened and Jesus looked at her and the Bible says that Jesus said to her he said if you knew of the person that was standing in front of you you would ask me for a drink of water instead of allowing me to ask you for a drink of water she looked at him and she said you you're telling me that you watch this now she says you're telling me that you uh, um, are now claiming ownership of this well that we're standing in front of. You're talking about water and you're saying that you got better water than the well that we're standing in front of. Now they have shifted because she is talking about flesh. He is talking about spirit. Have you ever been on a different level of conversation with somebody where you're talking about things on the next level and they still want to talk about people? You know, you're talking about ideas and concepts and they still want to talk about who doing what with who. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? They're still heartbroken over what they didn't get, and you're still trying, you're trying to operate at a level of which honors God and is moving in purpose. He is talking spirit. She is talking flesh. He said, if you would see, if you knew who was in front of you, you would be begging me for water because not only would I give you water where you'll never thirst again, I'll give you water that will eventually turn into everlasting life. She looked back at him, and she was like, wait a minute now, this well, this well now, the well, Jacob's well, well, it belongs to Isaac, who was the son of Abraham, and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, both of them now are, are I, I'm claiming ownership to this well, and you're talking about that you got water that's deeper than the well in which I'm claiming ownership with. So she asks him, she looks at him in the face and said, are you saying that you are greater than Jacob? That's what she's saying. She says, now you out of your mind with this thing now. You're trying to tell me that you better than everybody else around here? And Jesus said, I'm not saying that I'm better. I'm just saying that if you drink from my water, you're not going to thirst again. But if you keep coming back to this well, you're going to have to keep coming back in order to satisfy your, your thirst. And the problem with the idea that you keep coming back means that it's not satisfying you. Y'all, you following what I'm saying? He said, watch what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, watch this. Jesus is saying, he tells her that I've got something that will satisfy where you itch deep inside of your soul and deep inside of your psyche. And you keep running back to the same kind of man hoping that he will eventually satisfy you. And every summer, you got a different face but the same man and if you keep going back to that same kind of well you will never get what you need to be satisfied with and I'm here offering you the kind of satisfaction whereby you can get with something and stick with something and it will satisfy you all the days of your life and instead of receiving what I want you want to fuss and talk about who you are in the zoo after they have this dialogue are y'all still with me now all right, we're going to shout in a minute, but I need you to hear the story. What happens now, Jesus tells her, he says, look, I'm not the way. He says, I, I cannot tell you the, the situation, and I cannot tell you the purpose or the reason uh, for why you feel uh, the way you feel. But what I can tell you is that I'm thirsty, and, and you're at this water, and I can give you water in which you will not thirst again. Now, here's the problem. The problem is she looked back at Jesus and now she talks back to Jesus almost in a sassingly manner, if you understand original languages. She begins to look at him and now, now they're going tit for tat in sassy manners because in truth, Jesus said that I'll satisfy your thirst. But the problem is she didn't come to the well because she was thirsty. Jesus came to the well because he was thirsty. The Bible says that he had been traveling and he, had, he was thirsty and he came and he asked a woman who was not thirsty but was at the well. Well, what was she doing at the well? The well was a supply group for a, a water supply for all the things that she had to do. She came to the well because from that well she would get bath water and she would get water to drink and she would get water for cooking and she would get water to, to water the small crops around her family. She got up in that morning. She went to bed that night knowing that she had stuff that she had to do and when she woke up the next morning she put in action a plan so that she could take care of the things in which she had to do for that day and when she got to the well she didn't get to the well because she was thirsty she got to the well because she had something to do all right, I'm going to help some of y'all with that. See, see, she, got, she didn't go to the well because she was thirsty. She went to the well because she went to sleep last night with an idea about her life. And she woke up the next day on purpose and with intention to take care of her journey. And she didn't go to the well because she needed, because she was desperate and was thirsty. She went to the well because she had purpose in her life and in her day. Now, I'm going to help you in this place because some of y'all only pray when you're at crisis this moment and when you're thirsty but I want to talk to those of us in this room that have relationship with God that when I come to the well it's not because I need something it's because I need to be empowered to do something for God where where am I who see here's the problem is that everybody nobody's driven anymore nobody's got gumption anymore nobody wakes up with intention and with purpose anymore we just freeload and do our lives until we squander everything 
and mess up everything and then we run to the altar in crisis mode. I'm thirsty, God. Fill me. Help me. Pay the bill. Take care of me. And you don't have to always do your life in crisis mode. It is possible to have purpose in your life and to wake up and say that, God, you've got my back today. I've got a business to run. I need your strength, not for crisis. I need your strength for purpose. I don't need your strength today for crisis. I need your strength because I got an idea and I've got something that has to be done in my life. See, here's the problem is that we fill up these churches and we think that everybody that comes to church, and this is one reason why, why, middle, why the middle class has stopped coming to church because we have made people think that you got to be in crisis mode in order to receive something from God. That is a religious, shallow-based expression of God. Most of us in this room don't need to come to church because we need more friends. Most of us in this room don't need to come to church because we need to get saved. Most of you all are already saved. So there has to be a difference reason for why I come into the house of the Lord. I come into the house of the Lord because there is a depth of God that can scratch me where my self-help book can't reach me. There is a depth of God that could get to my psychosis where my psychologist can't get to and while I'm not against books and I'm not against counselors, I am also saying that if you give God a try deeper than the level of religion, you will see that he will not only take care of your religious thirst, but he's got a water and a well that it will spring forth into your life that can satisfy your intellectual needs, your psychological needs. Am I talking to anybody in here? Touch somebody and shout, I need more. I need more. I need more. So you can't bring me to church and try to shout me to death. You can't bring me to church and try to run me up and down the aisles. I'll get calisthenics at the gym. I come to church so that God can push something into my life and pull something out of my spirit. Who am I talking to in here that's ready to do something different in your life? What's this? What's this? I want you to see this. I want you to see this. I want you to see this. So, so now Jesus tells her, Jesus says, look, here's the thing, is that if you drink from this well, you're going to be thirsty again. He said, but I'm going to give you a, 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 a fountain, rather, that will never run dry. And then what ends up happening is, is, is none short of, of astronomical as it relates to the relationship with, with God and this woman. They are fussing at this well. She is essentially holding her own with Jesus. She is standing in front of Jesus. She's like, wait a minute, sir. You're talking about giving me water for thirst, and I'm not the one that's thirsty here at the well. Uh, you can, you're sitting here telling me about uh, uh, give you some water. What do you mean give you some water? You Jewish, I'm Samaritan. You know we don't deal with each other like that. And then you got the nerve to ask me for my ladle. You didn't even come here with your own ladle to get. You're not putting your mouth on my. I don't know where you, you know, you just came out there. Y'all know how it is when people that are not like you're used to dealing with come and sit next to you at church. You know how you are. I'm not, I'm not talking about you, the person next to you. You know how you treat people that don't fit your demographic of who's cool and who's intelligent and who's smart and when they sit next to you with piercings and tattoos you've got a whole litany of thought processes of who they are and your your thought process of who they are is generally way off base but because we've been taught not to be honest with folks we just hold it down instead of saying you know what I actually thought you was gonna steal my car <laughs> instead of just saying that we just keep playing and looking and, and we just make people feel more and more and more uncomfortable and Jesus is the kind of God that is not going to let you be in his presence and be covered up and feel like you don't belong in his presence. Jesus said I'm going to give you water and watch this with this water I give you. He said and it's going to run so much in your life that you're never going to thirst again. She said I want this water that you're talking about. It sounds good and I want you to give me this water. Now watch what Jesus tells her next. She says, I want this water. Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to give it to you. But before I give it to you, let's go get your husband because it is, it, is, it is socially correct for your husband to be present if I give you something. Now, I'm at that is uh, okay. I'm gonna help some of y'all that ain't married. I need you to understand that because that was in the ancient space. 2019, don't be given. Yep. All right, okay. It's socially acceptable today as well. 
all right? So Jesus says that, hey, it's socially unacceptable for me to give you something with your husband not being present. He says, so go get your husband. I want to give you some water. You want this water, but if I give you this water and he doesn't approve that they gave me this water, then people will be talking about me giving you something and us being there, and it ain't even like that. I don't want what you think I want from you. So go get your husband. Problem. Wait a minute, sir. I don't have one of those husbands. I don't have a husband. That's what she had to tell Jesus. Like, wait a minute now. And not only am, or do I not have a husband, you're not going to get in my business like this. Like, now, see, Jesus has to get into her life, and he tells her to go get her husband because giving her something without him present was out of order. And because Jesus wanted to do something in her life, he had to first get in her life and put some stuff in order. One of the reasons why it ain't flowing in your life the way it could be flowing is not because you're bad, not because you're not educated enough, but maybe your life ain't in order right now. God help me in this place. Maybe your life is not in order. And when God gets ready to bless your life, he has to put some stuff in order that you've been ignoring. He has to put stuff in order that you don't want to deal with. He has to put stuff in order that you don't want to talk about. I'm preaching better than y'all are saying amen. So all of us want to walk with God, but don't want to be put in line by God. God just blessed my life. Well, that means that that chick that you're living with, y'all going to have to figure something out because that ain't in order. He said, hey, I want you to bless my life. He said, that's cool, but that stuff that you do every weekend when ain't nobody watching, that ain't in order. Hey, I want you to bless my life, but that little show that you click on late at night when ain't nobody watching on the internet that keeps putting that spam up when you go off of it, he said, that's out of order. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Stop looking at me like... That's out of order. Somebody shout, out of order. She snapped back at him when he tried to get her in order. He said, look, go get your husband. She said, wait a minute now, sir. You don't know me like that. You don't understand me that way. What do you mean, go get my husband? He says, oh, you don't have a husband, do you? She said, of course I don't have a husband. He said, in fact, you've had five of them, and the guy that you're with right now is not your husband at all. Wait a minute, sir. You all in my business now. We got a problem. We all, you all in my business now. You don't get to tell me what I don't like because I got everybody thinking that I like everybody, but can I be transparent? I don't like everybody. I have learned how to act like I like you but the reality is I don't like everybody I just don't like everybody maybe I'm freeing myself preaching right now but I don't like everybody I just don't like and if you're honest with yourself you don't like all your teammates and you don't like all your church members and you don't like all your family and you don't like just look at me don't clap you don't like all your co-workers and you don't like who y'all are not talking back to me in here but she was unwilling to be honest with God and God had to go in her living room and pull her heart out and say you are not going to be in my presence and get my water and not be honest and real with who you are and what you're dealing with and what has hurt you. I can't heal what you won't admit hurts. We, we go to the doctor. We go to the doctor the first time when I tore my Achilles. We go to the doctor. I called him on the phone, five in the morning. I said, man, I say, doc, I think I tore my Achilles. He said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to squeeze your calf. And if your foot moves, he said, it's not, you didn't tear your Achilles. So I squeezed my calf, and my, and my foot didn't move. It just sat there limp. I said, oh, man. I said, man, I think it's, it's torn. He said, come on into the office right now. I'll meet you down at the office. So we go down to the office, and he lays me up on the bed. And the first thing he does is he says, yeah, your Achilles is torn. Watch this. But I got to find out how severe it is. So he starts pressing on my leg, and he says, tell me when it Hurts. He said, you got to tell me when it hurts. And, and he starts to press on it. And in a, in a moment, I'm being Mr. Tough Guy because, you know, being tough is what has identified me for all of these years. But the problem is, is that me not saying that I'm in pain is going to change the way he decides to help heal me. God help me. I'm preaching in this house. I said, so he kept pressing and he said, tell me when it hurt. And I got it all of a sudden because I don't want to be back on his operating table because 
I told him a little bit hurts when a lot of it hurts. So as soon as he got cut, yep, that's it right there. As soon as he got, that hurts too. How about this? Yep, that hurts too. And all my man pride, I had to hang it on the door. All my, I'm so tough, I had to put it on the door. Why? Because I'm less of a man? No, but because I wanted to be made whole. And he cannot heal what I would not admit hurts. God. I want to talk to some folks that have been hiding their hurt and been hiding their frustration and been hiding their angst and been hiding what has been hurting them. God is saying that if you can tell me that you don't have a husband and that you got five that you've been through, I can give you something that can heal Sit, sit, sit. Hold on that for a second, sir. He said, watch this now. I want you to see what happens now. He, she begins to talk to him and then as, as he starts to talk about the husband she shifts the conversation because she says I perceive that you're a prophet you must be for otherworldly some kind of way God must have sent you here he said but the problem is is that he sent you down here into a place where I have domain this rock belongs to us this is what your Bible says and Jesus begins to talk to her they begin to out the 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 heirs and the rights of the Samaritan and the Jew. They are talking by this by this uh, well, and they are now having a theological discourse about eschatological times. And she is holding her own with Jesus. Now you got to understand this. This man in about a year and a half is going to die, and then he's going to rise up, and then he's going to wait a while while he's in heaven, and then he's going to come back and he is going to execute the very thing that she is telling him about here on the ground. She tells him. She says explains to him she says sir this place where we stand on is ours given to us by Abraham Jesus stands and says you don't really know what you're talking about this is actually not yours in fact the time is coming and the day is going to be where those that worship are not going to be worshiping on this rock you still talking flesh and I'm still talking at another level they're not going to worship at this rock but they're going to worship in spirit and in truth this is the conversation that is happening now this is interesting because everything about this situation is theologically wrong everything about this conversation is socially wrong everything about this conversation has broken every more and every societal norm everything about this conversation a woman talking to a man in the middle of the day at a well that is inappropriate a man who is speaking back to a woman that's not covered by her husband that is inappropriate a Jewish person speaking to a, a, a Samaritan that is inappropriate a woman who is fighting back with a rabbi teacher about theological things she this helps you understand that she was not just some ditzy woman she was actually a very learned woman because her theological acumen was on point Jesus never said she was wrong he just said that you understand at a level that is not at the highest dimension of understanding God help me in this place all right, goodness today. Listen, this there is there is there is there is a piece of jewelry that exists in my household right now that when God gives me the opportunity, I'm gonna hand it over to one of my children. And one of my children at the time they will receive this piece of jewelry, but the reality is that they will not understand the value of the jewelry that they have. They might look at it and say, they might look at it and go and show their friends and say, bow, it's blingata. They might look at it and feel very important. But what they will miss, what they are, what they will miss is not that it's a fine piece of jewelry. What they will miss is that it has a value beyond what they're able to currently perceive. And if I gave this piece of jewelry to them when they're born later this year, they would drool all over it, knock it on the floor, and probably prefer the little squishy, noisy thing as opposed to the most expensive thing in the house and they would and if I gave it to them at three years old they would probably throw it in a spaghetti and throw it up against the wall and not realize that they are mishandling the most expensive thing in the house it's not because they would be bad children while they're doing it it's because at the level of their thinking they are handling it at the level of their understanding but if when when they grow and mature there is a different understanding of the same object. I'm about to help somebody in here. You gotta be careful letting people that don't understand you handle you. Because uh, Jesus help me. You gotta be careful letting people that don't understand the price you paid to be here. 
the issues you had to go through to stand in this room. You've got to be careful letting people that don't understand your value manage you. Hold now. And only deal with folks that are at the level of your value understanding. And Jesus was having a conversation with this lady and she wants to talk about wells and Jesus wants to talk about giving her life that will fill her and feed her and the Bible says that after he gets finished talking to her she takes off running and says you are the prophet that we have been waiting for I'm going to tell everybody about a man that told me everything this is where she is this is where he ends up being this is where she ends up having her dialogue with him thank you sir I got to do communion in a few minutes. I don't want to sweat out my coat. So he says, he says this to her. He says, she goes and the Bible says that she goes and she runs to the men. And here she is. She breaks another social norm by going and sitting in the, in the, in the, the, the open house where the men are. And I'm so grateful to God. And one of the things that I like the most about God, wait a minute, maybe it's one of the things that I really admire about this woman is that everything was wrong about her conversation with Jesus, but it didn't stop her from talking to him anyway. Everything was wrong. See, this is what the church makes us do. The church makes us shy away from Jesus when everything is wrong. When in reality, we should be running to Jesus when everything is wrong. When he opened up our eyes about her marital situation, instead of her shrieking back and saying, yeah, that was me. I'm not qualified to serve. I'm not qualified to be blessed. I'm not qualified. Instead, she stood right in there and said, I'm standing on a promise on this ground. Is that this promise belongs to me. And even though I'm a little off base and I might not understand, I do understand that you gave me a promise. Is there anybody that God has given a promise to in here today? And this is the reality of the promise is that the Bible says that when God declares a thing, it will never come back to him void, which means that if God gave you a promise, he is waiting to answer that promise. But if you are going to be angry and you're going to be ashamed and you're going to be and you're going to shriek back because of who you were and who you wasn't and what you messed up and what you flubbed up, if you're going to step away and say that the promise is not for me, that is the reason why you won't get the blessing. But it's not because God is not willing to bless the mess that you're in. Because God is the kind of God that, his, that your mess will not stop him from releasing his blessing. Because his blessing will fix you up while you're in the middle of whatever has messed you up. And then I like Jesus because Jesus didn't turn her away. They were in a mess. This thing looked bad. Everybody that's looking is like, yeah. In fact, when the disciples eventually had their conversation, the Bible said that they said to themselves, I don't know what Jesus is doing over there with that woman. That, that that's what they said. They said, why is Jesus having this conversation with that woman? Y'all know what we'd be saying about her. Why in the world would he care to be seen with that woman? I'm so glad Jesus ain't like people because the church see this is why some of our children are thrown off and they are left out to stray because the church has convinced you that you can't go in the nightclub to get your child out the church has convinced you that some kind of way you gonna be less holy if you go into the crack house and get your baby out the devil is a lie. Jesus stood at the well and he didn't care what anybody thought about him because I'm working on something. I'm transferring somebody's life. I'm healing somebody. You can be mad because I'm single and she's single if you want, but I'm transforming her life. You can be mad that he got tats up and down his arms and I'm, and I'm laying hands on him if you want because this ain't about that. It can be all wrong and be all right all at the same time. And you've got to know that when it comes to the anointing and God, he don't care how you show up to the house. Just get to the house he doesn't care how you show up to the well just get to the well and instead of judging the piercings and judging the tats and judging the haircut just know that there's a man or a woman here who deserves the dignity of my time and my blessing on their life and this is the way of the master and they didn't understand that and by the time we got to our text Jesus went to sit down to eat she is running around saying, let me tell you about a man. Let me tell you about a man. She was changed, but so was Jesus. Jesus sat with the disciples, and the disciples said, Rabbi, are you hungry? Let us get you some food. And Jesus looked back at them and said to them, he said, look, uh, I'm eating in this season of my life food that you know not of. 
He says, I know you're trying to give me the food that satisfies regular folks. He said, but I want you to understand that, that what's feeding me these days is not what fed me in last season of my life. Oh, God, I'm going to help you in there. He said, I've eaten food from a whole nother table right now. I'm on a whole nother level of thinking. I'm not thinking about who did what with what. I'm thinking about how can I expand what God has given me to do in this earth. He says, I'm not thinking about, you know, I'm not thinking about the approval of people. I'm now thinking about the approval of God. And I'm not hungry for the food that I got to come back for. I'm hungry for the purpose that God has put in my life. The Bible says that Jesus looked at his disciples and said, the food that I eat is to do the will of the Father in this earth. Now, I need you to understand is that Jesus had just got finished having a conversation with a woman about 45 minutes prior and they're trying to give him food because there is no indication that he ever drank the water and there is no indication that he ever ate natural food so now him doing his purpose has filled him up so much that what they tried to give him he said I don't even want what you're trying to give because I'm too busy living my life on purpose I wish to God that more people would live their own life on purpose instead of critiquing somebody else's life it is generally the people that are the critiques that have nothing to be critiqued and that's why you cannot worry yourself over who like you and who don't like you you've got to say God you've given me a mission in this earth and I've got to satisfy my soul by doing what you put me on earth to do but I will never come into the realization of my purpose as long as the image of me shows up and not the real me. Him, Jesus and the lady were on something totally different. They were no longer moved by people's attaboys. They were no longer moved by people having to tell them, girl, your hair looks nice and your dresses. They were no longer moved by the stuff they did. They were moved by the God they were honoring now. Yeah. And you don't get to that kind of purpose without being who God called you to be. Naked without shame. This is where I'm at. This is where I'm not. And God, if you can, if I can give this part of my life to you, will you give me a purpose? that transcends the minutia that I've been involved in the last three, four years of my life. Am I talking to anybody in here? Is there anybody ready for something different? Is there anybody ready for something different? They tried to feed Jesus what they would normally feed, and Jesus said, I'm on something different right now. He said, the food that I'm eating is just different. I'm not, I'm, the food that I'm eating is different. Don't screenshot me nobody's information. Don't call me asking me to hurry up and look at this. Don't, I'm on something different. I'm on the will of God. I'm on the will of God. And the only way we get there, the only way we get there is when the conversation of husbands show up. When the conversation of husbands show up, when the conversations of your less than perfect moments show up, when the conversations of where you're missing the mark show up, you can't lie to yourself. And you can't lie to this world. You can't do it. You can't do it. You got to take it all off. Stand up all over this place. You got to take it all off. You have to take it off. Because the real blessedness is not in how often you come to church. And I want y'all to come to church every week. Listen, I am not saying don't come to church. I believe church is, the, is God's grace to, to communities, according to the Bible. The Bible teaches us that we should all go to a local church and we should go regularly. I believe that that's what the Bible teaches us. I think it is important. I think one of the, the undoings of our great country is the fact that there is a weakening in the local church. So I'm, I'm challenging you. I'm telling you, grab your friends, grab your friends, say, hey, man, we're going to have a legacy of faith in our house. <clears throat> and we're going to learn about Christ. And we're going to learn about this thing. I profess to be a Christian, but I know nothing about him. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to profess to be a born again and to be a Christian, but you know nothing about the God you worship. And the local church is the place that comes in, and, and guys like me get to push on you and challenge you and make you think about life differently. And sometimes it vibes with you and you love it. And other times it's uncomfortable and you got to wrestle with it. But this is the word of God. This is the way the word of God operates. This is the way God operates.
this is the way God operates. And we're trying to put together a platform here at this church that lets you come the way you have been created to be. We're trying to create a platform that allows you, however your experiences have led you to this moment, we're trying to create an atmosphere that makes you say, you know what, I'm okay with however life got me to this place. And what needs to be corrected, God will correct. What needs to be challenged, God is going to challenge through the local church. What needs to be lifted, he's going to do it by his spirit. That's what we're trying to do, and sometimes we do it very loudly. Sometimes we do it very solemnly. Sometimes we do it with me. Sometimes we do it with some of these other preachers. But here's what we're not going to do. Here's what we're not going to play. I'm not going to show up to your door. I'm not going to show up to your house. I'm not going to show up to your job getting in your business I'm not going to do it I'm not going to ask these elders to show up and follow you around and be the spiritual police for your journey I'm not going to do it so pastor how do we get better how do we grow in grace how do we grow in God we grow in grace and we grow in God by being honest before God honest with God at home honest with God in our cars honest with God in our prayer time we grow in grace we get to our next space. We get to our next level. Being okay with where we're not okay. And saying, God, you know that this ain't okay with me. And, you, and I know that it's not okay with me. So I'm giving it to you so that you can help me work through it. And this is how God does that thing that we can't explain. He does the magic of heaven. In some kind of way, we're made whole. And we're naked. But we're not ashamed of the journey anymore. We're naked, but we're not as bad of a person as we thought we were. We're naked. Watch this. But we're freer than we've ever been before. There is something about the truth that just takes the shackles off because secrets are bondage. I'm going to say that again. Secrets are bondage. Anybody got you living in secrets right now? They got you in bondage. That is not cool. That's not fun. That's not dope. That's not amazing. That's not love. They got you in bondage. Freedom. The truth lets me be free. And now I'd rather learn how to be free than live in the barriers of my slavery to my masks. If I'm preaching to you, if I was talking to you and you said, Pastor T, can you just pray with me? I want you to come out of your seat and come down to the front today. I'm going to give about five minutes and we're going to pray and we're going to do an altar call. Maybe you're saying, Pastor, I need to be challenged. I need to be pushed. Maybe you're saying, Pastor, I've been in a place where I've been hurt and I'm ready to express my hurt. I'm ready to release it. I'm ready to give it to God. If you're in a place where you're saying, you know what? I feel like there's something deeper on the inside of me that wants to challenge me, that's trying to push itself out. But it's got to get past what I want everybody to think about me. It's got to get, it's got to work its way through how I have shown the world that I am. And pastor, here's the reality is I'm not really this strong. I'm not really this tough. I'm not really, I'm not really this angry. I'm not really this mad at the world. I'm honestly, pastor, I'm not as hated as I have made everybody think I am. I'm just not, I'm just not, I'm just not. And, and God, and I'm tired. I'm tired of having to go through life with the shields. I'm tired of having to go through life with the mask. I'm tired of going, going through life with the facade. I'm tired of having to smile and make people think I'm happy when I'm really not happy with my situation. I'm tired of having to go through and tell people I'm blessed when I really don't feel all that blessed. I'm tired of having to put on all the extra stuff to feel beautiful when I'm really not feeling all that beautiful on the inside. I got, I got people that are rooting for me more than I'm rooting for myself, and I don't know how to change that. I don't know how to want something that's better for me. I find myself going backwards to the same well over and over and over again. Different seasons, same different faces, but the same kinds of people and the same kinds of women and the same kinds of men and the same kinds of jobs and the same kinds of churches and the same kinds of scenarios and I'm just done with it, God. I'm just exhausted with it, God. I'm exhausted with it, God. I'm exhausted. I'm on a perpetual turning wheel that's going 